Hi, guys. How's everybody doing tonight? Awesome. Glad you're all here. Um, okay, so my name's Dustin. Um, welcome to Revolution Church, for those of you who are new. Um, I just want to take a moment and let everybody know we have some small groups going on throughout the week. Um, on Wednesday nights at 6.30 at Ryan's house. Ryan has a small group. Uh, Dave also has a small group at his house at 6. I can't see the lights in my face, sorry. Um, And then also Chris Jones, the gentleman in the back, um, has a small group at the Revolution House at 706 Campbell um, on Friday evenings. And we normally try to start around 7.30 or 8 or on weeks we have cookouts or trash pickup or something like that. It happens immediately after that, Um, which leads me to my next point. This week we have a cookout at 706 Campbell Avenue. Um, So everyone's welcome to come, show up, help out. you know, the more the merrier, I guess. Um, it is at, Steve, help me out. Six. I thought you were over there. <laughs> Sorry. I need to write this down. I'm awful. <laughs> um, all right. So um, if you guys, um, well, we're going to pray. And then if you guys want to take like 30 seconds, go meet somebody you don't know and um, just say, hey, uh, we'll go ahead and get started. Okay. Um, Father God, we thank you for this time that you let us set aside to freely um, come together and learn more about you and your word and to worship you as a, as a church body. God, we, we thank you for, um, for everyone that came out tonight, and we ask that you would um, allow this message that Dave is going to bring us to, to find a place in our hearts and to change us. Um, and all these things we ask in Christ's name. Amen. That was Demon Hunter playing. Anyone a fan of Demon Hunter other than me and Dean? A few people? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. I didn't ask him to play that. That's awesome. I've been listening to a lot of Demon Hunter lately. Which, now that I'm thinking about metal, I want to show this to you guys. Have you guys seen this over here? That's supposed to be the Lord Jesus. Um, It looks more like Lemmy from Motorhead. Anyone know who I'm talking about? Yeah, thank you. I just wanted to draw everyone's attention to that. Me and Ryan and the guys were talking about that at practice. Um, The Ace of Spades. Thank God for that band. Um, Anyway, uh, that absolutely has literally nothing to do with what I'm talking about this evening. Um, A wise man once said, if you ain't first, you're last. And I'm, of course, referring to the legendary and immortal Ricky Bobby. Right, um, I'm going to throw some, like, pretty, I think, are funny, like, words of wisdom, like, things to live by. Um, I actually, and I found one, me and Christian saw it before church started this evening, and it was another one by Will Ferrell. Before you marry a person, you should first make them use a computer with slow internet to see who they really are. Uh, <laughs> me and Autumn are getting ready to take that test. Um, she'll probably be fine, but I won't. Um, but like I said, <laughs> I'm going to share some words of wisdom with you this evening. Um, This one comes from a man named Mitch Hedberg, a very wise guy. He said, uh, every book is a children's book if the kid can read. Uh, Don't don't forget that, uh, parents. Uh, Another one, uh, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, except for STDs. Those things will follow you back home no matter where you go. Um, And this one made me laugh really hard because it made me think of Autumn. Um, A jealous woman does far better research than the FBI ever thought about doing. Um, that's, that's another really good one. Men, keep that one in mind. Um, got some women over here saying absolutely. <laughs> um, thank God. Um, and finally, my dad tells me this one all the time. He's a, he's a trader. He trades, um, like boats and cars and anything. He's a redneck, anything you can get a hold of, whatever your junk is, just get a hold of my dad. He'll sell it. Um, and, and this is his, he says, buy low, sell high and slow dance more which sounds awesome. I think that has to do with something about like selling guns and my mother. And like either way, it makes me feel really weird. It's way too close to Sons of Anarchy for my like own comfort, but whatever. Um, <laughs> but anyway, I wanted to share those guys with, or share those lines with you. Um, because like, I've noticed that human beings have always tried to come up with maxims for us to live by, right? These words of wisdom. Um, in the Bible, we have the book of Proverbs, which is just like, tons of like nuggets like that. Um, it's where people will try to impart like huge chunks of wisdom into just one sentence that we'll remember and can recall with relative ease, like in life, whenever like crap hits the fan or we need some advice, um, so that it stays like stuck in your mind forever. 
Um, and the biggest one for me growing up was from my mom, and it was, David, don't do that. You'll probably regret it later. And uh, now that I have eight tattoos and big holes in my ears, maybe she was right. I don't regret it yet, but maybe whenever I have, like, grandchildren. Um, that'd be kind of weird, like, maybe pulling my ear holes down, whatever. Um, right, but some of these words uh, of wisdom uh, are, are really helpful. Um, like a man named Alexander Pope said, to err is human, right? To, to do wrong is human. To forgive is divine because we imitate God whenever we live that way. Um, and Plato said this, and I think that this is just funny and our generation needs to hear this. A wise man speaks because he has something to say and a fool speaks because he has to say something. And like, I thought that was pretty funny too. I thought that was really useful stuff to keep in mind. Um, but tonight, right, so I, I told you all that, um, all those lines and, and wasted time. Um, <laughs> Because we're going to see the Apostle Paul this evening in his letter to the Philippians. We're going to see Paul give the Philippians, and by extension us, because we're believers as well, one of the most powerful sayings that Christians can ever hear. And I know you're probably thinking, well, wasn't that last week to live as Christ, to die as gain? I'm not not dogging that at all. That one's huge. But this is one um, that we're going to be reminded... um, of, of a lot of things. We're going to be reminded of the gospel. Um, not that that saying last week didn't remind us of these things, but we're going to be reminded of the gospel, the glory of Christ. We're going to be exhorted or admonished to faithfulness, and we're going to be pushed towards steadfastness in the faith. All right, so this is one that we really have to keep in mind if we're going to live as true disciples of Jesus Christ. Um, and this one really packs a punch. And it actually, like I said, it blows my mind that this isn't like on more of those like really crappy Christian t-shirts you see in praises. <laughs> and you know what I'm talking about? Like, it's like, a Coke bottle with, like, says, Jesus, the real thing, right? Or, like, I hate those things. I just want to throw that out to you. Like, this, like this phrase is not on those shirts, um, and I'm actually glad that it hasn't been beaten to death by the Caleb crowd, um, probably because it carries a challenge with it, but whatever. Um, so let's dig into Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 through 30, and let's see what Paul uh, has to say for us. And we're going to be kind of dissecting it verse by verse by verse like we did last week, right? So it's been six weeks but we're finally going to finish chapter one. The people in this room with ADD can breathe now. Um, but Philippians uh, one we we're going to look at the first sentence. Paul says this, Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Right now, that's the big line that I was referring to. That's the maxim. That's what we're to live by in all things. Right? Paul, he says above all because he's been talking about his probable visit to the Philippians in the last few verses, how he wants to come to them. He's convinced that he's going to stay alive and his plans are if he lives through this imprisonment, that he's going to come to them and help them and, um, and, and grow with them and, and, and spurn them on in the faith. But he says this, above all, above all, uh, the Greek words where we get mono, right? One thing. Whether I make it or not, whether I can help you or not, no matter what happens, you have to bear this one thing in mind from now on until you die. You have to live as citizens of heaven and conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the good news. Um, And what I thought was really interesting when I was studying this, this above all, this is why it's so important to the letter letter of Philippians that we're reading. Um, Paul actually sets the stage for everything uh, from here on out, right? This above all, Paul's going to actually... spend the rest of his letter, pretty much the whole rest of the letter, um, expounding on what this one thing looks like, what it means and what it looks like to live as a citizen of heaven. Um, And he's going to elaborate again and and show us what it looks like practically. Um, So this is going to be a lot of fun, in my opinion. Um, But the word citizen, right, he says, live as citizens of heaven. And that may strike us as a little funny, um, because Paul doesn't really use that kind of a wording in, in any of his other letters. So why would Paul decide to use that word here? Why citizens? Why citizenship? Why is that a thing? Um, if you guys remember, and you probably don't, um, but the first week that we went, uh, the first week in this book of Philippians, we talked about um, Philippi was a Roman colony, and that the Philippians were, because of that, Roman citizens. Even though that they weren't from Rome, and they didn't live in Rome, they had been given citizenship by the Roman Empire, because Philippi was a city that that did a lot, helped the Roman Empire a lot, and they absolutely loved being Roman citizens, right? They they had um, all the rights um, guaranteed to them by law. They they had a lot more rights than anyone else because they were Romans, right? And again, they loved it. They spoke Latin. Um, They wore Roman-style clothes. They they used Roman uh, titles for their officials. They, they worshipped Caesar. That was a big thing. Emperor worship. That was the big religion of choice. Um, so this word citizen 
is a big bell ringer for the Philippians. Um, But what Paul's doing is he's saying, you're a citizen of heaven. I understand that you're a citizen of Rome, um, but that's your lower status. You have dual citizenship now, um, that you are a citizen of Rome, but more importantly, a citizen of heaven. That Paul's telling them Christ is your Lord, not Caesar. Christ is king, not Caesar. And also that Rome is not your home, that you're not of this world. He's reminding them of things that Jesus told them, uh, or Jesus told us in the Gospels. And, and also, I thought this was interesting, the Roman um, mentality, concept of citizenship, carries this idea. Um, you must always do what is best for the nation. This is, this is, keep this in mind. Like, apply this to what Christianity would mean. Um, that your skills, your money, um, what you're good at, uh, your free time, uh, how you can help, everything about you um, is supposed to be for the good of the kingdom. Like, it's not so individualistic as it is this big community concept of what will serve our country, and what will serve our king. Um, so Paul's conjuring up all these thoughts in their minds in one word, which is way better than I can do because I can't do that with you guys. Um, and I think that we have to catch that. Um, that's why I want to spend some time on that. But the part of the phrase that bothered me the most whenever I read it at first was, or rather it was the most convicting maybe, was this. He says you have to conduct yourself as citizens of heaven, conduct yourself in a manner rather worthy of the gospel. Worthy of the gospel. What does Paul mean um, that we are to be worthy? Um, This will be fun because some of you may don't know this. Maybe this will offend you. I don't know. Either way, buckle up. This is going to be a good time. Um, Paul does not mean that we are worthy of the gospel. He does not mean that. That is absolutely insane to believe that sinners who have committed crimes against God in disobeying his law spitting in his face continuously with our actions and not wanting to worship him before we came to faith in Christ, or even apart from Christ, people that that don't know Jesus yet, it's absolutely insane to think that anyone is worth the gospel, that anyone is worth Christ's coming and doing anything for us, loving us at all. To think that we are lovable is hilarious to me. If we really begin to understand just how wicked we are and how much we don't want to worship God by the sinful nature that we're born into, Um, I'll tell you what we are worthy of, though, and I say this a lot. We are worthy of hell. That's it. Um, And again, it's because of our sinfulness. It it was purely the mercy and grace of God that brought us salvation. That's it. We don't deserve it. We deserve damnation, and yet we get Christ. Right? So don't ever get it twisted, right? I don't care what you hear, Kenneth Copeland, that kind of junk. Whatever you hear on Daystar television, which is awful, don't watch it. I've been watching it lately. It's... I'm doing it for your sake to give you guys reports of how bad it is. Um, Like, don't get it twisted, right? Whatever you hear in and of yourself, in and of yourself, you're not worth saving. You're not. I think everyone in here understands their own past and their own sin can agree with that, right? We are absolute garbage whenever we stand before a holy and pure, righteous God. Um, God saved us because he's gracious, not because of our inherent worth. Actually, the only reason that we even have worth as human beings, as a little aside, um, is because we're made in the image of God. That's the only reason that we have any worth at all. Um, so again, it's mind-blowing to me that people that don't believe in God think that human beings are worth anything. It doesn't make any sense to me. Because um, if we don't have the image of God in us, I know that human beings suck. Um, I, I am one. <laughs> um, so we're never going to be worthy of the gospel in and of ourselves. But I think Paul means this, and this is so cool, and this is so, like, it shows you the grace of God. I think that Paul means we've been chosen for citizenship by the king himself. That's good. (laughs) Like, that's good stuff. Um, We have been made worthy. That we are not worthy, but we have been made worthy by the king. That he has given us this status as citizens of a kingdom that we should have nothing to do with. That we should have never had a part in at all, and he gives us this status. And now, because of that, we're told to live in accordance with this gracefully given status. That's what he means. Right? We are, uh, in the words of a theologian named Bachmuel, which is the coolest last name in the world, um, he says, live what in Christ you already are. Right? In Christ we are righteous in the eyes of God. We are God's holy people. We are the bride of Christ. We are Again, his beloved, live what in Christ you already are. Um, again, citizens, live this status given by Christ. So in this way of, of living, um, 
to, to be a little bit American. Uh, the gospel is our constitution, right? It, hopefully we can do better than the Supreme Court. Um, right? King Jesus's word is law for us, and we are his subjects. Again, this slavery, citizenship, subjects kind of a thing. So all in all, I think whenever Paul says, live in a manner worthy of the gospel, I think he's calling for our consistency, right, between our profession, right, our, our professed faith, uh, whenever we run our mouths and say we're Christians, he's calling for consistency between that, the right standing that we've been given uh, before God and the way that we live. He's saying, I want you to be consistent, right? And we all know this, and I'm not going to beat it to death because this isn't where we're landing. Um, we all know that the church has a chronic problem of lacking consistency between words and action. It's one of the reasons why people are repelled away from the church, because we say we believe one thing and then do another. Um, we believe a great many things, but practice is rare. Um, and Christ is significantly more interested in what you do than what you say. Um, he even says, why do you call me Lord when you don't do what I say? <laughs> right? He's saying, doesn't even make sense. Um, so again, I'm not going to beat that concept to death, but let that soak in. Right? Like, let that kind of twist the knife in your gut. At least it did it to me. Maybe it'll help you. Um, so Paul is calling us to consistency. Um, and he's telling us to live in a manner worthy of the gospel. But what's cool, and I like about Paul, is he doesn't just leave us with vague concepts, right? He's, he's not just leaving us with this um, broad principle. He's, like I said earlier, he's going to elaborate on it. Um, but he starts here. He's going to do it throughout the whole letter, but he starts here with the second half of verse 27. He says, then, right, living this way, then whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. All right, so Paul's first practical um, way that living as citizens of heaven looks like, uh, looks like is unity. Right, the first practical way that he says living as citizens, what that looks like is unity, that we're going to be united as one. Right? And, and don't, don't worry, I'm sorry, Beals. Uh, this isn't like the dirty hippie holding hands, singing kumbaya around a fire, not taking showers kind of unity. Um, I'm really glad that Jesus doesn't call us to that. Um, so it's not, I'm sorry, I have to do it to you guys. Like, I'm going to go through the podcast and see how many times that I make references to the Beals being hippies. Um, it's, it's, it's insane. Uh, I love those guys. Um, but the first thing um, that Paul says of this unity is that we're going to stand together in one spirit. Um, and after studying, and if any of you guys disagree with me or you want to talk about where I landed on this, we can. It's not the place right now. Whenever Paul says one spirit, I think that he is uh, most likely referring to the Holy Spirit. Right? So that should probably be capitalized. Um, standing together in one spirit, right? Consider this, believers are all in the same Holy Spirit, right? Um, all those who believe the gospel, that Christ has died in their place for their sin as a substitute for them, came back from the dead um, and ascended to heaven. All people who believe that have the same spirit dwelling in them, right? Conforming us to the image of Christ, drawing us to faith, pushing us to be obedient. We all have the same spirit in us, um, and, man, like, we are really apt to forget that, um, that this is incredibly, like, unifying. Um, and, again, not going to land here. These are just sub points. Um, we see a lot of interdenominational fighting. Um, and, again, I've talked to you guys about this before. I am chief among sinners with this. Um, my tradition, the Reformed tradition, is probably the worst. We are jerks. Um, we're working on it. Um, but, like, you see, like, uh, Methodists fighting with Presbyterians, and you see uh, Pentecostals fighting with, uh, again, Presbyterians. I just keep going back to Presbyterians, like, they're the jerks. I don't know why I'm saying that. Um, and what's, what's really ironic about this whole thing um, is that they're fighting over doctrine, right? Um, they're not being united in the spirit. Um, they're fighting over doctrine. And I'm not saying that doctrine's not important, because it is. If you don't know uh, correct doctrine, then you cannot worship God properly. You can't. Um, if you have bad concepts about God, then you don't know God. Um, but here's what I find ironic, right? That whenever we fight like that and there's this bickering from one church to another, or I don't like that church because they don't believe what I believe um, on smaller things or, or whatever. I feel intimidated by that other church. Um, what's funny is that we will argue and hurt one another in arrogance over theology that is meant to draw us closer to God who is love. We're stupid. I don't know why we do this. Um, again, if we would just remember that we shouldn't divide or fight over non-gospel issues, right? The divinity of Christ, his substitutionary death, his resurrection, his, uh, his sinless life, his virgin birth, things like that. 
um, then we'd see a more united church in the world, right? Um, but then there's this too, right? For those of you who aren't uh, super theologically inclined, there's just plain old fighting, right? And, and ill will within the church. Uh, and usually it goes something like this. Someone's a jerk, someone gets their feelings hurt, and neither of them want to let it go. Um, I'm I'm guilty of this. Um, But again, just an aside, this has no place in the kingdom of grace and love and forgiveness. All right, so um, it smacks of ingratitude to Christ that he would forgive us and we come to him pleading for forgiveness and yet we would hold a grudge or hurt someone and not seek out their forgiveness. doesn't make any sense. Um, So just, I wanted to say that because like, I don't know uh, if any of you guys have beef with anyone. Settle it, especially if they're a believer. And if they're not a believer, love your enemies. So... You don't have a choice, uh, right? Uh, but there is a remedy for this kind of disunity, whether it be personal problems or doctrinal issues, and that's knowing what I, what I said earlier, that it is the same spirit who drew us all to Christ, that he is the one working in us to make us more like Christ, and he binds us all together as family with Christ at the head. All right, whenever we recognize this, and this was cool for me, our shared status, right? Our shared new status given to us um, we're going to stand together more, right? That thought brings reconciliation. To actually recognize that we've all been saved the same way by Christ, and that all believers have been chosen by God to be his beloved people, right? The citizenship that we've been chosen for. Whenever we keep that in mind, it makes it really hard um, for us to be okay with being at odds with other Christians. Um, so unity, right? Unity, um, And Paul says this, that whenever we recognize this inherent unity that we have in the spirit, Paul says that we're going to fight together, right? Not fight amongst one another, uh, but fight together, that we're going to strive together. Um, That word that he uses for fight actually carries a connotation of soldiers, right? Like working together as one unit, striving towards one goal. Now, I've never been in the military. Don't let the beard fool you. I'm a six-year-old child. I will run from any kind of physical altercation. Not doing that. Autumn is stronger than me. She'll take care of it if we ever have problems. Um, But I have seen movies and I've read some books, right, about the military and, like, being a soldier and and all that. Um, Saving Private Ryan was awesome. Um, Some of you would say Pearl Harbor was not a wartime movie. It's a chick flick. And I say I was raised by women so I could take what I got, right? So we'll just go on with that. Um, Uh, but I've noticed that, 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 there, that there's this within the military um, among soldiers, that there's genuine brotherhood there. Um, if you ever get the opportunity, it's, it's pretty cool to see two Marines that have never met each other meet each other and find out that they're both Marines. It's pretty awesome. Like there's this unspoken bond there. Um, they immediately have a huge thing in common. They consider themselves as part of this brotherhood. Um, right, and, and when they're on tour together at war, um, there's cooperation, obviously, and there's care for one another. Like, they actually want each other to live. Um, and this tells me this, that Paul would use that kind of imagery here, that we would fight together like soldiers. Um, that tells me that Paul expects that Christians um, that are fighting together and united in the spirit are going to care for one another. Um, and I think what that looks like practically for us, and I've been kind of harping on it this summer, but that's okay. Um, that we're going to share in each other's hardships, right? That, like, we're going to go to each other and check up on each other and actually listen, right? Like, not just, like, the cliche thing you see in movies. Like, I'm not just waiting for, I'm not just waiting for my turn to speak, right? Um, I'm actually listening to you because I care. And as I listen and I understand what you're going through, I want to care for you tangibly um, because I want us to be family, Right? And that also looks like, again, whenever we check in on each other, confessing sin to each other. Hey, man, I'm struggling with this. And then praying earnestly. Not just saying that you're going to pray for them, but actually praying with them and praying earnestly for them. Um, again, we are the body of Christ and all parts need each other. Um, but this, another reason why I think Paul uses this soldier word um, is that this life as a Christian is war. Um, again, seems like a cliche. Paul uses a lot of like war-like uh, wording in his stuff. So I'm not just making this up and I'm not just riding on cliches that have been thrown around for a long time. Um, he says like there's going to be struggles and there's going to be enemies, but we're going to get more to the enemies thing later. Um, and I don't think Paul uses this language lightly, right? This wartime kind of language. Um, you know, we're, we're going to need right, this unity and, and this uh, support and encouragement so that we're going to continue fighting. Um, 
You know, God provides grace, but he often uses us to be the means to confer that grace to other people. I just want to throw that to you. Um, but what do soldiers fight for? All right, they fight towards one goal. And for us as Christians, Paul says that we would fight together for the faith, which is the good news, right? The gospel, that Christ has died in our place for our sin, and we've been reconciled to God the Father by faith in him alone, in his death and resurrection. Um, that's, that's, that's what he's talking about. So we fight together um, for the faith. We fight together to live in a manner worthy of the gospel, uh, for consistency between our profession and our action again. Um, that's why we have to work as one, right? It, left alone, and, and those, guys, those of you who have been Christians for a while, I think you can agree with me on this. Left alone, we become very complacent and okay with where we're at. Um, right? Sin doesn't seem to be that big of an issue if we can hide it, right? Um, evangelism isn't that important when no one keeping us in check with the Great Commission, Christ's very commands to us to tell people the gospel. And, and furthermore, our struggles, right, whatever we're dealing with in life, our hardships, they become more bitter when we have no one to confide in, right? We were designed to be in communion with other people. Um, this is why, again, and I'll plug it to death, this is why I cannot stress um, enough how much you need to get plugged into a small group, right? Don't be weird about it, right? Don't be nervous. This is your family. They love you. We love you. We want to see you grow. Um, but we don't just fight for consistency, right? We don't just fight for consistency. We also fight together for the spread of the gospel, um, to proclaim it openly. Again, like I said, we push each other. We encourage each other with, with stories of like, hey man, you know, like this, this went great or this person actually converted and is a disciple of Christ now. Or we encourage one another with our stories of unsuccessful attempts. And we encourage each other in those moments by praying together for the lost and reaffirming the sovereignty of God in everything. Um, but above all of that, like we're, we're working together, always striving to get back out into the world and continue that mission of making disciples. Um, all the while, never letting anyone settle for where they're at. Um, in all, again, we, we fight together by pushing one another to keep the faith and never cease the struggle. Um, in the words of Paul, wage the good warfare is what he tells Timothy. Um, but, like I said we talk about enemies, right? With any true war, there is opposition for us. All right, and this is where it's going to get fun. Um, as Paul wrote this, the Philippians were enduring persecution from their enemies. Right? So he writes this, Philippians 1.28. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved even by God himself. Right? So who are the enemies of these Philippians? The pagans. All right? Like they're pagan neighbors. <laughs> like I use the word pagan like when I'm joking a lot. This is a real thing now. Um, like they're pagan neighbors um, who worship Caesar and worship all these other false gods. They, they worship Caesar. They say Caesar is Lord over us. And they are demanding that Christians um, obey Roman customs and Roman cultural norms. Right? And what those norms and, 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 and customs look like is loose morality. They were constantly pressuring them. You can't worship Christ. You have to worship Caesar. You have to live by our customs. And what that looked like, uh, as far as I can understand Roman culture, it looked a lot like this. Do as you please as long as it doesn't conflict with Caesar's reign. Um, follow false religion. Worship Caesar. Um, be an idolater. Um, you can't worship Christ. Do what you want as long as it does not conflict with Caesar's reign. Um, now, for our culture, we are not uh, much pressured to worship the president as a god, um, although some people do, and I think that's funny, and that's not a slide on Barack Obama, right? You can be a Democrat and be a Christian. This isn't that kind of church where we're going to tell you how to vote. Um, on some issues I will, but not as a whole. Um, or, or we're not told to worship the president, and we're not told to worship, like, stone idols, although there are actually, like, still pagans in the United States. I don't know if you guys know that. Mind-blowing stuff. I don't understand. Um, I cut this thing out of the tree, and it's God. I, whatever. Um, that I made. Um, <laughs> But, uh, but what we are uh, constantly under pressure to do is to worship ourselves. That's what we're constantly being hit with from our culture. Worship yourself. And that's actually the root of idolatry is self-worship. If you look, and I'm a nerd, if you look at Egyptian mythology or Greek mythology or Norse mythology or Roman mythology or Mesopotamia, whatever, I'm not going to list all the cultures. Like if you look at all their kinds of uh, mythologies that they had, um, their gods behaved like people. Right? There's incest, there's rape, there's a lot of sex, like just lots, copious amounts of sex. Um, 
Like, there's murder, there's, there's theft, there's grudge holding, right? There's, there's all this kind of stuff. They look like sinful human beings is what their gods look like, which shows me that the root of all idolatry is worship, worshiping us. Um, if, if false gods look so much like us. Um, so what we tend to hear is follow your own path. Um, man, you hear that a lot. Like, follow your own path, do what you feel. Morality is relative, essentially, is what we get hammered with. Um, do what feels good, and don't let anything get, get in your way. Like, that's, like, the one common theme that, like, I see on, like, people's Facebook accounts and, and all that kind of garbage. Do what feels good, and don't let anything get in your way, and that is a really dangerous combination. Um, that is super dangerous. Um, I, that's why I think that we see so much greed um, that's your money. You do what you want with it. Um, screw the guy who needs help. Let them starve to death. You, you do what you feel. That's your money. Whatever goals that you have for that, don't let anyone get in your way. You do you on that. I think that's why we see so much divorce, right? You want to be happy and you don't want to be in this marriage anymore? Don't let anyone get in your way, not even your wife or your husband. Right? Do what makes you feel happy. Um, and abortion. Like, I'm, I know I sound like I'm on, like, this, like, Republican soapbox. Whatever, get over it. Um, these are biblical concepts. I'm not, I, don't, I don't have an agenda. Um, do, do what makes you feel good. Do what makes you happy. Don't let, don't let that unborn child in your stomach get in the way of whatever your goals are. Selfishness, in a nutshell. Don't let anyone get in your way for anything. Um, that's idolatry. Anything that we ascribe more worth to than God which is shown in our actions as an idol. And more often than not, we are pressured to worship ourselves. Right? But in the face of this kind of pressure, Paul is telling the Philippians, don't be intimidated. Right? He's imploring them to be bold for Christ and to keep their allegiance to Jesus steadfast no matter what. He's telling them that their response should be, no, I am a Christian. I worship the one true God, not me. Um, Jesus is my Lord, not the culture. Jesus is the one that dictates to me what I'm supposed to do. I obey the norms of the kingdom, forgiveness, love, self-sacrifice, um, selflessness. Like I obey those norms and I do that because I recognize that this is not my home. I'm a citizen of heaven. Right? And this kind of God-honoring response ended up getting the Philippians beaten and jailed and possibly killed. Remember, it's a Roman colony, Christianity. It's still up in the air on whether or not it's legal. Um, well, they don't have freedom of speech like we do, so they're going to they're gonna get hammered for this, and they're going to experience a lot of persecution from their pagan neighbors. And Paul knew that this was going to happen. He knew. He was in prison like for preaching the gospel. Like He knew that this kind of stuff could happen. Uh, but he also knew that Jesus is more important than cowardice. He knew that. And he knows that Christ rewards the faithful with eternal life. That Jesus loves his people. And what we suffer now is nothing compared to what we get in the end if we are faithful. Right? He's saying, don't be afraid. He's worth it. Um, now, I think that this call to not be intimidated and to stay faithful to Christ in spite of culture is still super relevant to us. We talked a little bit about fear last week, and we're kind of going to go down that path again. Um, I'll say this too, we don't experience true persecution in the United States. Me and Rick Clark talked about that a couple of weeks ago. We don't. You're not going to go to jail um, yet for preaching the gospel, and no one's going to kill you in the United States. Um, but what we are going to face, not so much persecution, but we will face opposition if we are living faithfully to Jesus. Um, and I was kind of like laughing to myself, like you would have to be like living under a rock or like having literally no deep conversations with non-believers to not see the fundamental opposition that Christians face. Like, me and Dustin Cooley talk about this kind of stuff all the time. Um, this the culture does not accept our worldview at all and doesn't care to hear us out with our worldview or anything that we believe because we affiliate ourselves with Christ. Right? Like, think about this. Um, like, I got some examples. Um, think about this, and if you're not a coward, do this. Um, I know it sounds like I'm being harsh, but like I need spoken too harshly. Maybe some of you do too. I don't know. Um, the Holy Spirit beats me up. He doesn't like pat me on the back and say, hey, you should do this. He punches me in the mouth. Um, right? Um, but, but, think, but try to do this or think about this at least. Um, next time you're in a conversation with someone who's not a believer or even some believers because liberal Christianity is a thing. I don't get that. Um, take a stance on the inerrancy of Scripture. Right, that, that scripture is uh, active and alive in the very word of God, that it was breathed out by God and is still as relevant today as it was when it was first written, and it is without error and tells us everything that we need to know about God. 
and salvation and how we're supposed to live in order to please him. Tell people that you believe in the inerrancy of scripture and you'll get called an idiot. Right? People will come at you with a million different things, a lot of slanders against you. You'll be called stupid. Take a biblical stance on marriage. Right? That according to scripture, marriage is between a man and a woman and any other kind of civil union God does not deem as marriage and that it is for life. Um, Take that stance and you'll be called a bigot. That's for certain. We talked about that last week a little bit. You'll be called a bigot for certain. You'll be called hateful. Um, No matter how graciously you present that, you will be called hateful. Um, Talk about leadership in the home. This one's kind of funny. You talk about leadership in the home, that like the husband's supposed to be the one who leads his home spiritually and that the husband is supposed to work and and like all decisions ultimately rest on the husband in in a married relationship. Um, You say that and like the feminazis will come rappelling down out of the ceiling and burst through your drywall um, and call you a sexist pig, right? Like, if you throw that out there at all, you're a dead man. Um, it, and God forbid you mention that salvation is by Christ alone and anything outside of him will get you hell. You mention the exclusivity of Christianity, that it's Christ or hell, you're laughed out of the room and you're called a closed-minded, hateful person. You're called arrogant. Um, think about that. Like, that's the opposition that we face. And again, saying these things uh, is worthless if our lives aren't consistent. Um, If Jesus is our our Lord, we should prove that his word is law by how we live. Um, We have to obey or we're hypocrites, right? Uh, The Pilgrim's Progress is a good book. Dude talks about um, this guy named Talkative is his name. And he knows a lot about theology. He knows a lot about religion. He is always wanting to talk about it. And then whenever it comes time to put like the rubber to the road, gone, gone. Like we can't be like that. Um, that's hypocritical. That's not true faith. So we can say that we believe all this stuff and even introduce them in conversations. But if our lives aren't consistent, people will see through the BS really fast. Um, so again, the opposition is here. And I think that's why Paul says that our unity is a must for living worthy of the gospel. I think that's why he says that we have to be united, um, that we're going to need constant encouragement in the faith, that we're going to need other Jesus followers to remind us that scripture teaches us things like this, that Jesus said these things. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Not because you're a jerk, but because you're my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. Jesus also said this, Students are to be like their teacher, and slaves are to be like their master. And since I, the master of the household, have been called the prince of demons, the members of my household will be called even worse names. And he says this, the world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world so it hates you. So in our unity, we remind one another that this place is not home, but that someday the opposition will end and it will be worth it. And that Jesus tells us to actually expect these things. Um, So he tells us don't be intimidated, but I, I think that he's also wanting us to know that we shouldn't be discouraged Uh, by opposition either. Um, Because, like we just saw Jesus say, any kind of suffering for our faith is evidence of our faith. Um, This is really weird. Like, we don't think about this kind of stuff too often. Uh, But that when we are steadfast in our convictions and living in spite of opposition, it's evidence of the work that the Spirit has begun in us, like Paul talked about in Philippians 1.6. And I don't just say that because it sounds good, right? Because that sounds real preachery, right? Whenever you suffer, it's evidence of the Spirit. Like, that sounds real preachery. Like, I'm not a professional quote maker. I'm not making t-shirts. That's not why I said that. Although that is on my list of things to do before I die. Um, This actually makes sense, right? This is like a practical concept. Um, And I'm going to level with you here. Um, I'm 23 years old. I'm soon to be married. And I am abstinent. I'm not trying to be vulgar. I'm just just leveling with you in a a really real way. Um, (laughs) We... I appreciate that, but that just made me think of this because I'm a smart aleck. Like, that's how depraved that, like, our culture is. Like, if a Christian even says he's abstinent, everyone's like, that's awesome. Like, that should be a given. Like, that should be a given. Um, Right? But I said this not... (laughs) This is fun. Um, Like, I said that not to be, like, vulgar, uh, but I desire sex. I do. Um, (laughs) I really hope your voices pick up on the podcast. Anyway, I love you guys. Um, Man, I'm getting red-faced up here. I never get embarrassed. 
Um, right? But I desire that. Um, and our culture tells us, go for it. Do it. Um, in my flesh, right, because we're simultaneously righteous in the eyes of God and still very much sinners, um, my flesh tells me to do the same. Um, that is spiritual opposition to Christ. Uh, and yet, by the grace of God, um, I don't. Um, something then, this is what this tells me. Um, I didn't say this to make this about me or get like applause or whatever in that crap. Um, something outside of me then must be giving me a compulsion to be conformed to Christ. Um, that's the Holy Spirit continuing his work in me. And whatever that is for you, whatever temptations that you go through or deal with, um, that you can say no. Um, that's proof that something outside of yourself, because in and of ourselves, in and of our flesh, we want to disobey God, that whenever we would shake that off and shake off like the opposition of the world telling us to disobey, that shows us that there is something at work in us pushing us to be more like Christ. Um, so when Christians are intimidated by opposition, right, the world telling us to sin or to not evangelize or to be a whatever, um, whenever we are intimidated and we don't give in, that proves the Spirit is at work. And again, a little side note, that's not saying that obedience saves us at all, um, but obedience is a result of salvation. I, I don't want us to ever get so wrapped up in salvation by faith and, and grace that we, that we shelve obedience. Um, this is proof of our new citizenship and our allegiance to King Jesus. That, that's what obedience is. It's proof. Um, it's evidence. Um, but anyway, we shouldn't be discouraged by opposition. Um, again, just because that's, that's showing what the Spirit is doing in us, um, that we're fighting for the faith. We're fighting to live consistently. Um, and I think Paul also tells us not to be discouraged because our suffering in opposition is a gift from God. This is weird, man. Like, we're about to, like, I had to really chew on this one. Like, this one gets strange. Philippians 1.29, for you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. Paul talks about suffering a lot in this letter as if it's a good thing, because according to Scripture, it is. Um, Paul says that the privilege of faith in Christ naturally comes with the privilege of suffering with him. Like, you can't get one without the other. Like, you have to have them both. He says this again in Romans eight seventeen, and since we And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. He's saying, like, these things go hand in hand. So here I think what Paul is trying to do is he's trying to encourage us to take everything in stride. Um, that we've been chosen by God not only for faith, not only have we been given this privilege of faith, um, but we've been given this suffering as well um, against this kind of opposition and this struggle in our lives, but that God will not abandon us through this because he has chosen us for this. Um, you know, like we've said before, whenever we suffer, God's making us more like Christ and he's holding us to himself through the whole thing. Um, he chose us for the faith and he's going to keep us. He, he's faithful to himself. He's faithful to the promise that he would save us. Um, and our suffering is just making us more like his son. Like, we can't do it alone, but he will empower us to persevere. So I think that's one of the things Paul's trying to, to get through to us. Um, but I also think that in, in addition uh, to some encouragement, that Paul is also just laying it down, right? Like, he's just laying it down, point blank, what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. And this is kind of like refreshing bluntness for me. Um, he's saying that this is what it looks like to follow Christ in a world that is openly hostile to God and resistant to his love. This is just what it looks like. You will suffer. This is why it naturally comes with it. Um, so when we have these experiences of societal outcast and ostracism, um, and we have to deal with the hurt that comes with them um, and the frustrations that come with them, it's a sign that we are disciples. Um, I think that's why the apostles could rejoice in Acts when they were beaten for their proclamation of the gospel. Right, go find that on Daystar. Um, so we've talked a lot, I've talked a lot, um, rather, uh, uh, about how the world scorns us, how the world is morally bankrupt, and how this place is not our home. That we should be mindful of our true home, which is heaven, and that we will face opposition from non-believers. This sounds awesome, right, does it not? Like, this sounds like, sign me up. A lot of you didn't know whenever you, like, prayed the sinner's prayer or whatever, you did not know you were signing up for this. Um, so this is going to be a lot of fun for us. Um, but here's the one thing that we have to remember in all of this. For everything that I've just said, and this is where I want us to, this to stick out more than almost anything else that, I, that I've said. Um, 
We have to live worthy of the gospel in all of this. That's the one thing that Paul says you have to do. You have to remember this. This means, like we've said, that we strive for holy living and tell people about Christ. But this also means something that Christians tend to forget as we are hated. Love. That's what that means. Live worthy of the gospel. Love people. Um, We don't hate the world in return for its hatred of us. We don't hate individuals in return for their hatred of us. We don't hate people because of their opposition to Jesus. Because Jesus didn't. He died for sinners. Christ was beaten and bloodied and mocked and hated and stripped naked and put under the white hot wrath of God for the people who hated him. For us, that's what we tend to forget. That we were the enemy and he died for us to make us friends who were once enemies and hostile against him. Christians have a tendency to forget how far that we once were from Christ. Like when I was talking about all that immoral stuff and how people make fun of us and call us bigots and call us sexists and call us homophobes and all that. We, we, in that anger and in that frustration of being called that, we forget how far we were from Christ and how Christ unabashedly, unapologetically, unashamedly pursued us and showed us love in spite of our hatred of him. We forget that. And when we forget that, we begin to hate our enemies. We begin to hunker down in our Christian hideaways and pray for the damnation of these wicked people. Um, We ask God for them to be brought to justice. But then here's what's ironic. We do that and then simultaneously plead the undeserved blood of Jesus on us. You see the inconsistency? That's not gospel living. That's not. Um, Gospel living is a continuous supernatural love for sinners. Like, a love that we're, we're constantly trying to show them the goodness and the truth of salvation by faith in Christ in spite of them. Right? So I'm telling you to live spitefully. So take that as you will. Um, so in what I, and here's what I'm afraid of. In light of the fact that we've talked about unity and how we need to team up together and and, and encourage one another and be a family unit, in light of Paul's call to unity and steadfastness in the faith, um, I don't want us to hear of the enemies around us and then hunker down in our evangelical hideouts and call that unity and call that steadfastness. Uh, That's not unity um, where you hate the world so you only hang out with Christians. (laughs) That's stupid. Um, that's not living worthy of the gospel. Um, Being united means that we have a family, again, with Christ at its head, that we can run to when the world has absolutely beaten us down so that we can be encouraged and reinvigorated and then go back out into the world that hates us to continue fighting for the gospel because we love people. That's the point of unity. That's the point of unity, right? And if we're going to keep this good, biblical, godly concept of unity and not just shy away from the world and hate the world, we have to remember that it's not people that we're fighting. People are our enemies. Paul says this in Ephesians, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. He's saying it is Satan that we fight. It is darkness that opposes us. We should pity people that don't believe in Christ. We should pity them because Satan has so blinded them and their own sin has so blinded them that they can't see the light of the gospel. We should pity them and pray that God would regenerate their hearts and bring them to faith in Jesus. We should not hate them. They are not our enemies. Darkness is the enemy. And we have to remember that it's not us that the world hates. It's not you in and of yourself that the world hates. It's Christ in you that the world hates. So don't throw a pity party for yourself. It's Jesus that the world opposes, not you, but it's the fact that you are united with Christ in your faith. That you have the Holy Spirit residing in you that makes the world oppose you. And if we're going to remember that it's Christ that the world opposes, then that means that we have to handle the world like Jesus did, in a gospel way. We have to love them to death. That's what that means. We have to love them unto the point of death. 
being patient and gracious and always giving a defense of our faith and always being prepared to talk and always being prepared to be humble um, and gentle, but never backing down from the truth. That's how you show love to someone who doesn't know Christ. That is fighting for the faith. Showing love in the face of hatred and praying for our enemies. And why? Because we want to see enemies become brothers. And again, we we do all this as a family, as one unit of soldiers loving and pushing one another to this. And this is the last bit that Paul says, verse 30. We are in this struggle together. You have seen my struggle in the past, and you know that I am still in the midst of it. So we will continuously struggle through this kind of opposition. We will continuously struggle against our own sinfulness. But we are in this together. We strive together. Again, united in the Holy Spirit as one, with gospel faithfulness as the goal. So what I would, I would implore you to do is stick tight to Jesus and stick tight together because we're in this together. Um, so again, I challenge you, contact one another throughout the week. Pray for one another. Be family. You know, like, let's push one another into more active obedience to Christ into fearless proclamation of Jesus, no matter what our culture around us may have to say back or what we have to suffer for it. And let's do all of this with the mentality that this is not our home, that we're okay with whatever we face because this is not the end game for us. And we are sojourners. And we have to do this by keeping in mind that we've been bought with a price, that it was Jesus' life that bought us, and that we have been given a status with God that we did not earn. And because of that, because of that recognition, we've set our faces like stone on living in step with that status. And we do that out of gratitude to King Jesus for choosing us for this citizenship that we could never have earned. We do all this for the glory of God and the fame of the name of Jesus in love to other people. Let's pray. Father, you, you're good. Thank you, first and foremost, for sending Christ um, to die in our place for our sin. We were completely unworthy of it, but that you chose us for citizenship and you made us, who were once enemies, your sons. God, I pray that, that we would be united, working towards a common goal that we wouldn't be afraid of our enemies, that we wouldn't be afraid of the culture, but that we would faithfully pursue you no matter what the costs, that we would set our face like stone on your commands, and that we wouldn't become hateful Pharisees whenever we receive hatred from from non-Christians, but that we would just show a steadfast love because we're living in a manner worthy of the gospel. God, may the, may the gospel always be at the forefront of our minds in all things that we say and do. May your love and your faithfulness to us always be the rallying point for us to go out and imitate Jesus. God, I thank you for everything that you've done and everything that you're going to do for us and through us and in us. Everything's to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.